You know, mental health, it's been a pretty hot topic over the past, especially over the past two years, seems like to me. I, you know, I was, I was scrolling through different news articles this week online, and, and I think out of the ten that I, I glanced at, two out of the ten were about mental health. You know, one highlighted how young adults in California are experiencing mental health challenges at an alarming rate. They polled 800 young adults between the ages of 18 to 24, and three-quarters of them reported struggling with anxiety this last year. You know, the author of the article wrote, The poll reveals a generation under strain from a wide range of problems, with 86% saying the cost of housing was an extremely or very serious problem, and more than three-quarters saying the same about the cost of college, the lack of, of well-paying jobs, homelessness, drug and alcohol abuse, and the cost and availability of health care. Now, that's just a poll of 18 to 24-year-olds in the state of California. There are similar and there are different anxieties that people are faced with at different stages in life in different locations around the United States and around the world. There are anxieties that are brought about in our lives from the time we enter this world until the time that we leave. And Ed Welch, who's a biblical counselor, he writes, Also expect that you will have more anxieties as you get older. Our fears identify those things that are most important to us. Things such as acceptance, finances, love, health, and the well-being of those we love. These are best understood as ordinary human desires, which the Lord takes seriously. When these are under siege, we should expect to be anxious. The reason they, may, they might increase as we age is that health becomes more brittle, we're less able to defend for ourselves in the job market, and we love more people and have concerns for their welfare. And so even if we haven't been clinically diagnosed with some kind of anxiety disorder, we all struggle with anxiety from time to time to different degrees. And anxiety, it can be a difficult thing to define, right? It's difficult to describe. And so how do we describe anxiety? Well, I like what Tim Alkin has written. He He's, he's written something I believe that's kind of helpful as far as a, a, just a description of what anxiety is um, and other emotions. He says, God created us as emotional people, so as, as people created in his image uh, who have emotion, and our emotions are given by God to us to put us into motion. You know, for instance, anger is driven by a sense of injustice and a desire to oppose something that we feel isn't right or fair. In the same way, Fear is a God-given emotion when our minds alert us to danger, whether it be real or perceived. Anxiety is what we feel when our body is, is responding to the emotion of fear. And worry is the thought process that molds over and gives power to the object of our fear. And so we can see how closely linked fear and anxiety and worry can be. And according to Alkin, anxiety is a kind of feeling that we experience that's often linked to a fear that has arisen in our lives. Right, And if we don't respond rightly when that fear and, and anxiety arises, then it can lead to us responding with a sinful worry. And so often when we're experiencing the, the feeling of anxiety, there, then there's likely some kind of underlying fear causing us to be anxious. You know, for example, you know, a little child you know, could struggle with anxiety when, when you take them to the nursery. Because they fear that their parents are going to leave and they're never going to come back and they're going to be alone with, with, with those weird uh, nursery workers in there forever. You know, youth, 
You know, you, you may become anxious because you struggle with a fear of interacting with your peers at school. You know, maybe you struggle with the fear of whether or not you'll fit in with them. You know, those of you who are in college, you know, you're having to juggle uh, working a job, uh, trying to figure out how to get all of your schoolwork done, you know, and trying to do all the other tasks that you're needing to do, along with trying to figure out whatever God wants you to do with your life. And there's a lot of anxieties that can arise from just the busyness of life in that. Parents, parenting. You know, I don't really need to say anything else other than that, right? It's, uh, parenting, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, there can be anxieties that arise as we try to figure this whole parenting thing out. And maybe you become anxious because you wonder whether you are doing everything that you can do to train up your daughter or your son in the, in the ways of the Lord. And maybe you struggle with the fear of whether or not they'll trust in Christ for salvation. And there's so many other things that can cause anxiety to arise in our lives. You know, our occupations, temporary or chronic health issues, the death of a loved one, finances. And you know, we, could, we could come up with a, a long, long list of, of different things. And understand that within the Christian world, there are those who believe that all fear and anxiety is sinful. And then there are, there are, there are others who would say that not all fear and anxiety is sinful. And this isn't going to be the main focus of what we talk about today, but I'm just bringing this up because it might be a good discussion for potluck. I vote Trevor to, to lead that discussion in his gray-haired wisdom. So, uh, but just to give us an example, sometimes there's anxiety that's brought about because of maybe a medication that someone's taking that they shouldn't be taking. And it just doesn't serve them well, and it causes anxiety to arise. You know, maybe there's something physical going on with someone's body, an underlying health issue. There's a vitamin deficiency or something going on that's, that they just can't pinpoint, and that's causing anxiety to arise. I would definitely not say that that's sinful anxiety, right? Or what about if someone is diagnosed with cancer? And when they hear that diagnosis for the first time, it could initially cause fear and anxiety to arise because their health is being threatened, right? Sometimes fear and anxiety could be a God-given response to a real threat that is given to us for our own good. And so I don't necessarily agree that all anxiety is, and fear and anxiety is sinful. But whether we agree with that or not, we can all agree that anxiety exists because we live in a sinful world. And how we respond when we're confronted with fear and anxiety can either be a sinful or fateful response. Which brings up the main question for us today which is the title of the message, is, is what do we do with our anxieties? Well, that's what our passage will address today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to, to 1 Peter chapter 5. So 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to, going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. As we meditate on these verses together, we'll see that as we're confronted with our anxieties, that we're called to, and this is our main idea for today, real simple, is cast our anxieties on Christ. So cast our anxieties on Christ. And so as you turn there, I just want to give us a brief overview of the letter of 1 Peter. I don't have a lot of time to do this, but uh, just to give us some, some context of our passage and in the chapter that it's in, you know, this, this letter was written by Peter, who is one of Jesus' first disciples. He was part of that inner circle of Jesus' closest disciples. And if you remember that uh, Jesus prophesied that Peter would be a key leader within the early church in Jerusalem, which he was. You know, where he, his major focus was on the Jewish community there. But later on, God would call him to shift his focus to ministering to the Gentile community. 
And so Peter wrote this letter through a fellow brother in Christ named Silvanus while they were likely in Rome, probably around a few decades into his ministry to the Gentiles. And this letter, it would have been circulated throughout the churches in Asia Minor, which is what is today modern-day Turkey, where believers there were being persecuted by their fellow Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter, he's, he's writing to them, reminding them that they have been chosen by God. And he teaches them throughout the letter about how they can continue to live the Christian life when faced with hostility and suffering. And, and when we get into chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 5, Peter begins to address members of the church and how they are to respond to one another. Especially as they're experiencing the sufferings and the hardships caused by persecution. You know, this can put a strain on the whole community of believers as they experience the pressures, stresses, anxieties that are brought about by persecution. And so he began by first addressing the elders of the church, by giving them some instructions about how they are to shepherd God's people. And he reminds them of the sufferings of Jesus and the glory that is to follow. He then instructs the younger members, younger members submit to the elders' leadership. But then listen to how he shifts from instructing the elders and the younger members to instructing all members of the churches. He commands everyone in the second half of verse 5. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now we can see this theme of humility woven throughout the verses in terms of how we relate to one another. But also within our main two verses, we'll see how humility towards God is absolutely necessary in dealing with the anxieties that we are faced with. Which again, our main idea is, is cast our anxieties on Christ. Cast your anxieties on Christ. And so let's read verses 6 and 7 together. So chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Peter wrote, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so casting our anxieties on Christ, it begins with, and, and this is our first kind of sub-point, it begins with a humble disposition. It looks like having a humble disposition. You know, Peter wrote, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You know, the therefore is there for a reason, and it's pointing back to verse 5. He's reemphasizing that because God opposes the proud and extends grace to those who are humble, that we should humble ourselves under his mighty hand. You know, biblical humility here, it's a lowliness of mind. And of course, it's spirit-produced, but it also comes from having a right understanding of who we are and who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. And Peter helps us to understand this a little better here. He, he wrote that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You know, mighty hand here is an expression that is uh, used often in the Old Testament to describe God's sovereign power, you know, which can be used to deliver and save and uh, discipline and cover his people in care. He is all-powerful, and he's in control of all things. And this phrase is kind of interesting. It's most often used in the context of when he delivered his people from enslavement to the Egyptians as they're suffering under their hands. You know, for example, God explains to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, that as Moses went to Egypt, that he, God, he knew that the king of Egypt would not let them go unless compelled by a mighty hand. 
And God uses his mighty hand or his sovereign power to compel Pharaoh to let his people go through a series of plagues that only he had the power to bring about. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, as Moses was giving the command of God to keep the Sabbath day, he tells them that as they observed the Sabbath, they were to remember that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord their God brought them out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so God, he delivered them by his mighty hand or his sovereign power. And Peter commands them and us to humble ourselves under this mighty hand of God, to submit to the power and authority of God who rules over our lives. To have a humble disposition towards God in which we understand that He is the only one who has the power and the authority to deliver us from or to help us endure the anxieties of this life. And so casting our cares on Christ, it looks like having a humble disposition. What would be the opposite of this? The opposite's to have a prideful disposition, right? Right? You know, this looks like trying to, to handle things with what we think is our own mighty hands. You know, by our own power and strength. But if we try to hand, handle the anxieties that arise within our lives apart from God, then this is pride. You know, this is exact opposite of what God desires for us to do. This is in opposition to what he wants us to do. You know, Peter actually wrote in verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, God shows us favor, or he, he, he gives us grace if we humble ourselves before him. Whether our anxiety is a result of sin or not, if we try to handle things by our own power apart from the one who has all power and authority, then we're responding in a sinful way. And we have to think about this command within the context of what these church members were faced with, right? They were experiencing persecution. And we can easily overlook the enormous impact that this would have had on their lives. You know, the stress, anxieties, worries that, that came along with being persecuted. You know, some of them were displaced. You know, the relationships divided. There were probably financial problems. You know, they were uh, worried about their, their children and their, and their family members' lives because they were being threatened. And if they attempted to handle all of these anxi- added anxieties and worries on their own by their own power and strength, which is absolutely impossible, then it could lead to them trying to figure out solutions and make decisions with a prideful, self-centered motivation, which could then lead to division within the churches. And so to cast our anxieties on God, we must have a humble disposition towards God in which we understand that He is all-powerful and in control of all things, and that we are incapable of handling our anxieties on our own, which should drive us to the one who can But as we're driven to him, casting our anxieties on Christ looks like also, and this is our second point, trusting in his perfect timing. So trusting in his perfect timing. Peter wrote, continuing in verse 6, that we are to humble ourselves under his mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You understand that, that Peter doesn't say that they will be delivered right away from the sufferings that they were experiencing. You know, if Peter were to have done this, then he would be giving them a false hope because this isn't how God works, right? God has a perfect timing for everything that he brings about within their lives and within our lives. And this includes the suffering that we experience or even, or even when he withholds something from us, which could include that, that good desire that we have 
which God doesn't allow to come to fruition. You know, God has a proper timing for everything. Yeah, but specifically here, Peter he is likely focused on the sufferings that they are experiencing from persecution. And he's referring back to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, where Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, these believers in Asia Minor who were experiencing all kind of anxieties that were brought about because of persecution, they were in need of God's mighty hand to deliver them from the suffering that they were experiencing. You know, similar to the, the way that the Israelites in the Old Testament needed deliverance from suffering that the Egyptians were causing them. And I'm sure that they asked questions like, well, God, what, when will you deliver us? Will you deliver us from these difficulties and these hardships and these sufferings? God, I'm fearful for my family members' lives. They're in danger. Will you protect them? Now, how much longer do we have to wait? Have you forgotten us? You know, and Peter's reminding them that for those who humble themselves under God's mighty hand, that he will exalt them at the proper time. They may be delivered in this life, and if not, then they have a guaranteed deliverance to look forward to that they are promised and that we're promised. On that day, they will be present with him and they will be vindicated and all things will be made right. And so casting our anxieties on, on Christ looks like trusting in his perfect timing. And so in examining our own lives, how do we respond when things aren't happening the, the way that we want them to or according to our perfect timing? Maybe some of us are here right now, we've been asking some of these, these same questions in regards to the anxieties that we're faced with. You know, I'm someone who likes to be in control of things. I, I want things to happen on my timing. I want to be able to find a solution to a problem, and I want to be able to solve it right away. And then if you're like me, if, if that doesn't happen, then I become frustrated. And it's easy to, to try to deal with our, own, our anxieties by our own power and strength at that time rather than waiting patiently for the, his deliverance and trusting in his perfect timing. And trusting, too, that he has our best good in mind. And as, he, as we do this, as we trust him and come to him with our anxieties, he uses this as a means to strengthen our trust and our faith in him. And so if we're going to cast our anxieties on God, then it involves us having a humble disposition, you know, trusting in his perfect timing. And, of course, it also involves us actually bringing our anxieties to the Lord. So this is our third sub-point here, is, is bring your anxieties to Christ. So bring your anxieties to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of find it a little bit frustrating if, if someone makes a blanket statement like, humble yourselves, uh, and, or walk in humility, and then they don't give me instructions about how to do that. You know, they, don't, they don't show me how to do that. But Peter, he, here, he, he doesn't just say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and leave it at that. He actually gives us a very practical way to do this. And so how do we humble ourselves under his mighty hand? Well, this is where we get our main idea today. It, it comes from verse 7. So if you look at verse 7, Peter wrote, We do this by casting all our anxieties on him. You know, we cast all of our anxieties on him. The word that Peter uses for casting here in this verse is the same word used in Luke chapter 19, verse 35 to describe how the disciples threw their cloaks on top of the donkey before Jesus rode in on it during the triumphal entry. And in a similar way to that, 
donkey, how the donkey carried their cloaks, Peter's saying that, that, that we can cast or throw our anxieties on Jesus and he will carry them for us. And it's pretty interesting here. It's almost as if Peter assumes that they will have anxieties, right? So it's not a question of if anxieties come, but when anxieties arise, then how will we respond? Will we pridefully attempt to, to handle them by our own power and our own strength? Will we continue to try to carry the heavy weight of our anxieties and allow them to paralyze us with worry? Or will we humble ourselves under, our, under his mighty hand by casting them on Jesus? And this is not always a one-time, you know, one-and-done action, right? Lord willing, it is. And I, I pray that for you, but... Uh, Often, it could be something that we bring to him multiple times. You know, casting our anxieties on Christ is something that we have to continually practice and consistently practice as a lifestyle. But understand that even though we may continually have to come to him with the same anxieties over and over, that Peter says that we are casting our anxieties on the one who cares for us, which is the fourth sub-point here, is, is casting our anxieties on Christ looks like giving them to one who cares deeply for us. So giving them to one who cares deeply for us. And that's what Peter writes in the last part of verse 7. He says, casting our anxieties on him, Jesus, because he cares for us. You know, have, have you ever beat yourself up in your struggles with whatever anxieties that you have? Because you've tried, as, as Paul has written, to, to not be anxious in anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you know, let your requests be made known to God and and as you take it to the Lord over and over, you become frustrated because you cannot seem to be done with, with that struggle once and for all. And you begin to think, man, I, I'm a failure. God must be disappointed in me because I, I just can't overcome this. Well, I want to encourage you, brother and sister, that Jesus cares for you with the same amazing love no matter how many times you bring your anxieties to him. He wants us to bring them to him because he cares deeply for us. And rather than viewing him as just a, a grumpy old man sitting on a, on a throne, shaking his head, at, his, his head at you and his hand at you as you struggle with your anxieties again, remember that he cares deeply for us and he wants us to cast our anxieties on him. Coming to him over and over daily to cast our anxieties on him is how we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. It's one of the means that he uses to strengthen our faith in him. And to attempt to handle these anxieties by our own power and strength is pride. And think about this. The one who cares deeply for us is a high priest who is te was tempted like we were tempted, but never sinned. You know, when, when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, it's written in verse 32 through 34 that Jesus was, was greatly distressed troubled and sorrowful even unto death. You know, Jesus knew what he had to endure and the cup of wrath that he would have to drink from on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sins. Him being distressed, troubled, and sorrowful are ways of describing right responses to what he was going to have to endure for us. And I believe that this is just another way of describing the anxieties that Jesus was, fa was faced with as a man which, of course, it wasn't sinful. So we have a compassionate high priest who is able to sympathize 
with us in our weaknesses. And we remember this as we bring our anxieties to cast on him. You know, Don't be afraid to bring them to him or, or be fooled into thinking that he's offended by you doing so. You know, it makes me think, too, of how often Jesus approaches those who have different anxieties of their own throughout the Gospels, right? He, he says things like, do not be afraid and, and fear not and do not gr- grieve and do not weep. And when we read these examples in the Gospels, we often read them as com- the commands of Jesus. And, and when we only read them as the commands of Jesus in this way, it, it can seem as if Jesus sometimes isn't being a, a very caring and his approach to these people. But we have to read these in context of the stories that they're in. For example, when Jesus approaches the widow in Luke 17, who has just lost her son, he tells her, do not weep. But if we look at the context, it actually says that Jesus had compassion on her. And the reason that he tells her not to weep is because he's present with her and he's about to do something great. Ed Welch writes again, Throughout his ministry, when Jesus said, don't be afraid or or, do not weep, it meant that something good was about to happen. He was going to help in a way that only he could. And Peter, here, he's, he's reminding us that we take our anxieties to the one that can help in a way that only he can, right? We take our anxieties to the one who can help in a way that only he can, to the one who has compassionate care for us, and who, who deeply cares for us. And so now before we close, I just want to draw out a, a few more, just three more points of application that, that Peter hasn't already covered for us. This message is just pretty much one point, and the whole message is an application. It's casting our cares on Jesus. It's just a reminder that if you're struggling with anxieties, that it's not an option to not go to Jesus with those anxieties. We've got to go to him. We've got to cast them on him. We've got to remember that. And that's just an encouragement today through this passage is to to remember, if you're struggling with anxiety, cast them on the one who cares deeply for you. But I just want to draw out three more points of application apart from what Peter's already covered. The first being, this is not exhaustive, right? As believers, this is a step that we must take when we're confronted with our anxieties. We should always respond by casting them on Jesus. However, I don't want to take away from the importance of medications, of of doctors, of counselors, who are needed, absolutely needed at different times. This is also not everything that the Scriptures teach us about anxiety. For example, Philippians 4.8 has some very practical steps that we can take in battling anxiety. In Matthew 6, which is where Jesus teaches us about the provisions of life, another great passage. And there are many more. And so this is just one very important step, and it's a necessary step that we must take when we're confronted with our anxieties, when anxieties arise in our lives. So this this is not exhaustive. But secondly, help each other cast our anxieties on Christ. So help each other cast our anxieties on Christ. You know, sometimes as we're struggling with the anxieties of life, we need someone else to come alongside us and help us cast those on Jesus. You know, maybe we just aren't seeing things clearly like we should, and we need a fellow brother or sister in Christ to come alongside us and to help us see our situation from a right perspective. We need to be reminded of, of God's sovereign power and our weakness and our inability to handle the situation ourselves so that we can also be reminded to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. 
And we need someone to, to remind us uh, and to come alongside us and, and, and help us cast those anxieties on Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's through someone coming alongside us and praying with us and helping us do that. And so I just want to encourage all of us here to be aware of those who may be struggling and don't be afraid to ask someone how they were doing. You know, if they seem like they're struggling, ask them. You know, maybe you could be that person that God desires to walk alongside the person who's struggling in their sufferings. If you're the person who's struggling, don't be afraid to ask someone else to walk alongside you in your suffering. Someone who can help you cast your anxieties on Jesus. And so help each other cast our anxieties on Christ. But, but lastly, have you humbled yourself before Christ for salvation? You know, maybe God's calling you to himself today. And if so, then I would encourage you by, by, by turning from your sin and, and receiving Jesus who saves. You know, salvation begins by initially humbling ourselves under his mighty hand for deliverance from his wrath to come, right? We, we all deserve his wrath because of sin. That sin separates us from God. But God, in, 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 in displaying his great love and in dealing rightly with, with sin, he sent Jesus to provide a way that, that we could be saved, that we could be made right with him. And that's through Christ, his son, who went to the cross and took on our sin and, and he took on the wrath of God that we deserved to pay the penalty for it. And he simply calls us to turn from our sin and to receive Jesus who saves. And if that's you, if you've never humbled yourself under his mighty hand to, to initially receive deliverance from salvation, then I would encourage you to, to, to do that today. And if, if that's you, then I encourage you to talk to one of the elders. Talk to Pastor Andy or me or someone. Just grab somebody. I'm sure somebody will talk to you about it. Uh, there are so many other things that we could talk about when dealing with the topic of anxiety. But I, I at least wanted to encourage us to remind us today in this simple way to cast our anxieties on the one who cares deeply for you and for me. All right, please join me in prayer. Uh, Jesus, God, we come before you and, and ask that you would, uh, God, help us to be faithful in how we respond when anxiety and fears arise in our lives. God, help us to, to not try to handle them by our own power and our own strength, but God, to, to bring them to you. God, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, to cast them on you, Jesus, to remember that you care deeply for us. You want us to come. And God, help us to do that. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith as we do that in you, our trust in you, even if we don't get the desire that we want, that, that our good desire doesn't come to fruition, or even if we're not relieved of our suffering, God, just the act of us coming to you and casting them on you, we can be reminded that you care deeply and that you are in control and that you are good and that you're working out all things for, for our good and for your purposes. We ask those things in your name, Jesus. Amen.